This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with a master of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the faith debate master of ceremonies, oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy Skinner. Thanks for listening again to the faith debate. You can follow us online, of course, at WFMD.com, also the WFMD Facebook page. You can follow what I'm doing personally uh, more closely, if you'd like to, at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Uh, almost everything I'm doing is is revolving around something that you'll find there, householdoffaithinchrist.com. We're picking up this week where we left off last week. We were talking last week, you know, can Christians vote Republican? Can Christians vote Democrat? Well, we're answer those questions. Uh, we started answering them last week. We're answering them again this week. Uh, I was in the middle of a point last week when we stopped and we're picking up. This is some material that was shared last year right on the eve of the election, just before, like a week or two before the election, uh, the kind of stuff that you're going to be hearing here today. But it's it's timeless. It's it's timeless because it's biblical guidance and wisdom on these sorts of things. So um, I was making the point that the Israelites demanded a king other than God, and God said, fine, I'll give you a king, but just know this, they're going to oppress you, and one of the ways they're going to oppress you is to take as much as 10% of your income in an offering to the king. All right, 10% was meant to be oppressive, and that's where, where this, we're picking up now. Do you know what the average American pays in taxes right now? When you count income tax, property tax, sales tax, all the hidden taxes that they call fees and all that sort of stuff, it's somewhere between 50 and 60%. The average American is spending more than half of their income and wealth on taxes. God said 10% was a sign of his judgment. That was a sign of an oppressive government, and we have a government that is taking five times that from us. So that's the Democrat position. Now, the Republicans aren't perfect on, perfect on this either. The Democrats want you know, the, the income tax rate to be, I don't know, 35%. The Republicans want it to be 26%. 26% is still too much. But 35% or 38% or whatever is worse. So they're both bad in a lot of ways, but the Democratic Party is worse. So I read Psalm 139 the way I did on purpose. So we have the kumbaya parts of the passage that we want to focus on, and that's the part, that's the winsome part, that's the part that I as a pastor am supposed to connect with, and I'm supposed to be all love and joy, happy, happy, joy, joy, and smiling, a you know, big winsome grin, and Jesus loves you, and that's true. And there are times when I do that. I've done that... A majority of the time when I'm sharing the truth of God's word with you, that's the, the tone. But there's also passages like, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. And again, Christ is the first singer of this song. If Jesus Christ can say something like that, I as a pastor and you as a Christian 
can and should say something like that on occasion when the time is right and the time is now. I pulled, here's, here's just a quick rundown. Here's more that could be said, but I don't want to go on forever. Ten Commandments. That's a pretty good rule and standard, right, for how Christians should think about their lives and, and how the world should go. So let's look at the Ten Commandments. Commandment one, have no other gods, right? No other gods before me. The Democratic Party uh, has embraced primarily a secular humanist idea. And secular humanism doesn't have cr the creator as God. They make the state God. So the Democratic platform violates commandment number one. God says you're to make no idols. Right? No, have no graven images, make no idols that you're going to bow down and worship. Um, only I should be bowed down and worship to. Well, the, those who have this socialist uh, uh, ideology, which is what the progressive movement has come to stand for, it's all about this dict dictatorial power in a vain attempt at utopia, and that utopia becomes the idol. They're chasing after this vapor, this dream, this this perfect Star Trek universe where, you know, in the future, everything's going to be just so. If only, if only we shut down all the businesses so no one will ever get sick and die again. If only we could have utopia. So they're chasing after this figment, this, this false god that they made an idol instead of worshiping the one true god. So the democratic platform violates commandment number two. Commandment number three, do not take the name of God in vain. <laughs> Blasphemy abounds against Christ in the Democratic Party. They took, took God out of their platform. They booed God. They take you know, God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, all those sorts of stuff. It's, a, it's an anti-God movement within the party. But it's not only his name, but his name stands for his power and his authority and his standards. And they stand against his standards, which we're now going to get into some of that. Talks about keeping the Sabbath. Well... Christians under democratic rule haven't been allowed to go and worship on the, on the Sabbath day freely. But also, there's no day for resting in the Lord in, in a democratic uh, mindset, in a democratic platform mindset. There's no day of rest. None whatsoever. Honor your parents. It's interesting because the government has created what some like to refer to as the nanny state and puts the government in the place of the parents. That is not honoring parents. That's replacing the parents. The parents become irrelevant, unnecessary, even problematic. The teachers know best. The experts know best. The medical community knows best. Parents don't know anything. How many of you have teenagers and they're coming home telling you, well, my teacher says, and you just don't know. They're smart. They went to school. You're an idiot. How many of your teenagers have that attitude that's been instilled in them by the state who dishonors parents and trains up our children to dishonor their parents. The next commandment is, thou shalt not commit murder. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Abortion is murder. The slaying of innocent, defenseless children by ripping them limb from limb, shoving scissors into their brain, snapping their neck, injecting their heart with a deadly poison, it's premeditated, <laughs> and the person being subjected to all that horror did nothing even remotely close to deserving it, as though anybody would deserve that sort of torture. So they violate that commandment. The next commandment, 
no sexual sin, no adultery. Well, the LGBTQ stuff is not just accepted, it's celebrated, it's advocated, it's funded. It's glorified. In one of the debates, Joe Biden talked about you should let your eight-year-old son or daughter choose their, their sex, and if they want to, have reconstructive surgery so that they can change their, if they have an appendage, remove it, and if they don't have an appendage, give them one. Sexual sin is rampant in the democratic mindset. Next commandment, don't steal. Well, we talked about what's going on with the taxation. And I understand, I, I think there is justification for there to be some taxation to support the things that the government should be doing. But any time the government gets outside its lane and does things the government shouldn't be doing, they have no sanction for that. They have no biblical ground for that. And so... Uh, locally, there's a story where uh, the, uh, the county government here in Frederick is going to give $150,000 to some sort of agricultural thing. The agricultural thing might need the money. I don't really know the details, but I'm sure that there's probably a need for that money. That's fine. Create a GoFundMe account, whatever. Tell people they should contribute. But that's not how it went down. So the county government decided that they were going to take, whether you wanted to take it or not, and if somebody takes from you something you don't want them to take, that's called stealing. That's theft. They're going to take 150000 of your dollars and give it to somebody else in the name of doing what's right. Well, you can't do something right by starting by doing something wrong. So this, this burdensome taxation and taxing private property into oblivion, I would argue, is an example of stealing. So we have a violation of the Ten Commandments there. Two more to go. Don't bear false witness. <laughs> This is a little cheeky, but have we heard any truths from the left recently? I mean, from the right, too. But, I mean, how many years did we hear about this Russia collusion thing? It wasn't true. The stories about uh, Justice Kavanaugh that he was subjected to last year, not grounded in anything that would, that there were, there were no, no trustworthy witnesses, no, no biblical justification for those charges. Uh, things are made up out of whole cloth all the time. Now, again, Republicans violate some of these things, too. The point I'm trying to make is the Democrats consistently, all ten, the Republicans, a lot of them, but not all of them, and even the ones they do violate, on the whole, not as bad. Last one, no coveting. Well, you've probably come to terms and realize there's this new phrase we've all had to learn about this year, critical theory or critical race theory. You know what that's all about? That's all about, he's got something I don't have and I'm jealous. That's critical theory in layman's terms. It's not fair that he has something that I don't have. The only reason he has it is because he's an oppressor and I'm the oppressed. That's critical theory. And in critical race theory, it's he has the, what I have, don't have. He's the oppressor because he's white. And I don't have because I'm black. So it's critical theory with skin color attached to it. That's all about covet covetousness. It's all about jealousy. And the Democratic Party is stoking those flames. They're leading the charge. They're instilling jealousy. And you think the welfare state is good? You give somebody a bunch of free stuff that they didn't have to work for, which, by the way, is also unbiblical because the New Testament says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But you give somebody a bunch of free stuff and they feel entitled and they want more. And they're like, how come you didn't give me more? And how come that person has more than me? Why don't I get more? Well, they're working hard. Yeah, but I deserve, we're instilling these attitudes of entitlement and 
and craving for other people's stuff. The Democratic Party has an agenda that pushes envy into the culture. That's all ten. All ten. They're a miserable failure on all of them. Again, in fairness, the Republicans, and Donald Trump specifically if you want, fails on a lot of these too. But right now, we live in a system that has a binary choice. It doesn't matter exactly how the three of us in this room vote, or the maybe 20 or 30 that might be watching this video, how, we, how you vote. Either Donald Trump or Joe Biden is going to be president for the next four years. That's just the way it is. That's our choice. So given that being the binary choice, who would Christians uh, hope to have as their president? The one who breaks all ten of the commandments and sets us on a trajectory where we might live in a culture that doesn't respect any of the ten commandments for the next generation. It's a big deal. Now, I don't think that if Trump wins and the, and the Republicans win the Senate and the House and all that sort of stuff, I don't think that necessarily solves it. But at least it buys us a little more time for the church to be salt and light in the world and to make some changes where they need. You know, I saw there was a letter to the editor in our local paper here the other day. And I was talking about, you know what we need to do to solve all these problems? We need to end racism. Yes, we do. How do you do that? You're not going to legislate it out of existence. You're going to do it by changing hearts. And you need to have a context, and a, cult a cultural context, that allows the gospel to move more freely. And the, for better, as bad as they can be, the Republican Party, by the way, for the record, I don't consider myself a Republican per se. I consider myself a biblical thinking conservative. And when candidates align themselves with that, I vote for them. And more often than not, it's a Republican candidate. It's never a Democratic candidate. I've never found a Democratic candidate that aligns with a biblically conservative, you know, Christian-informed, Holy Spirit-led agenda. I just for a get-out-the-vote movement. If people don't know what's going on, they're not informed, and they're not thinking righteously, they're not thinking biblically, I don't want them voting. <laughs> you can stay home all day. I'm fine with that. But if you are, if you're on the side of righteousness, and you have a chance to wield some influence, then I think you're a little bit derelict. Now, there's there are some arguments, and I think they're interesting uh, arguments that you shouldn't, no Christian should be involved in the political process, and they shouldn't vote at all ever, and all this sort of thing. Those are interesting arguments, and I respect them. I'm not persuaded, and I think those arguments are wrong. The, the problem with... Uh, with the Big Bang Theory from, uh, from an atheist's point of view is all they've done is move the question. And by that I mean the question is where did the universe come from? What, what is responsible for the universe being here? And they would answer, well, the Big Bang. I'd say, okay, let me ask the question again with one small change. How did the Big Bang happen? Why is it that there was a Big Bang? What caused it? All they did was move the question. It's the same question, just a slightly different and the question has to be the, the something, nothing, the law of physics, the law of logic dictate to us that uh, nothing that comes into existence uh, comes into existence without a cause. Everything that comes into existence has a cause. And it's important, by the way, for Christians to understand that yeah, that's how you need to make the argument. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. Because they're going to say, well, you're going to say that God caused the Big Bang, right? You say, yeah, well, what caused God? Nothing caused God. He has no beginning. He has always been. He is infinite. He is the 
infinite uncaused cause. So everything that comes into being has a cause. God never came into being. God always was, always has been, always will be. Math easy for me. Let's imagine the household income for a particular family is $100,000. And let's say that they fit the the statistical norm for this country and that the government takes half of their money through through federal, state, local, county, government, sales tax, they take half of it. So you have $50,000 left. Now, if they were merely as oppressive as what God talks about in the Old Testament and the government only took 10,000 of the dollars instead of 50,000 of the dollars, if they were only as oppressive as that, you'd have 40 more thousand dollars with which you could support all the local charities and all the things where... So we're forced to live under these rules where the government is spending that money, spending on things we wouldn't want them spending, like funding Planned Parenthood, for example, or spending inefficiently, and you know they're not keeping tabs because the government's so out of control and big. You can't properly audit something that big and keep control on spending. The more localized the spending, the more tight the controls and the more efficient it's going to be. So there's all of that. But the other thing is, for those of you who are thinking that way, and I get it, and I and I, I laud you for it, you should have a heart for the for the downtrodden, for the needy. You should have compassion on them. But what does God's word instruct His followers regarding that? Who is he talking to? Who is to take care of the orphan and the widow? Who? If someone's hungry, who's supposed to feed them? Who? You. Not somebody else. You. Somebody else maybe should join you in that, but you. You're responsible for you. You're responsible for your family. You're responsible for for the, the, the community of faith that you belong to in your church. You. That's what God instructs us. He does not instruct us that, you know how we're going to take care of the poor and the needy and the orphan and the widow? We're going to have some third party come and steal from you what you won't give on your own because we don't trust you to give it. And then after we've stolen it from you, we're going to then parse it all ourselves. That is not God's instruction. You are abdicating your responsibility if you're going to turn over that responsibility to the government. You're abdicating your responsibility and handing it off to somebody else. It would stand for something like a $15 minimum wage. Okay, that sounds compassionate. Like everybody deserves to have a living wage. You shouldn't work full time and, and be below the poverty line. Okay, well, the Bible speaks nothing of that. It talks about paying people what they're due and paying them on time. It doesn't talk about what the wage should be. The only instruction we get from Bible on that is... How much money somebody gets paid is determined by two people. The person making the payment and the person receiving it. it has nothing to do with the government overseeing or involving themselves in that. And think about this. Is it really compassionate? What if somebody has no experience, uh, they don't have any real developed skills yet, and they're not worth anywhere close to $15 an hour for the work and labor that they can do? Maybe they're worth $10 an hour. Maybe they're worth $5 an hour. Maybe in three months they'd be worth $20 an hour. But day one, they're, only, they're worth less than $15 an hour. They're not going to get hired. And so the minimum wage laws ends up making it impossible for challenged employees to find work. That's not compassionate. That's not biblical. The immigration issue is a big one. We should have, you know, uh, we're sojourners. We should welcome the sojourner and have people come in. And that would be fine except for all of this what's called the safety net programs that are funded by them taking half of our money 
And we're like, we can barely afford to do what we're doing now. We're gonna have a bunch of people come here and 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 uh, become uh, grifters and grafters and and taking. Uh, we can't now. If you got rid of all of those social quote unquote benefit programs and said we're gonna do it the biblical way, we're gonna do it out of individual family and church charity, and it's not gonna be the government's gonna be forcing people. Then you know what? You can have open borders. I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with people coming here, and we kind of keep tabs on who they are and what they're all about, and have some control over that. But we could have we could have seven billion people in this country if if we didn't have to be forced at the point of a gun or the threat of prison to to feed them and take care of them. So the immigration and the other thing that's lost on the immigration question when you allow a bunch of uh, lower skilled people. Uh, Economically, you know, they, they can do a lot of manual labor. They're hard workers. They're conscientious workers and all that. But they don't have a lot of training. They don't have a lot of education. They can do a lot of grunt work, and they're good at it, and they're dedicated to it, and we need them. So God bless them. But when they come in, who are they hurting? They're hurting the other people that don't have a lot of education and skill set yet either. Maybe they will come to later in life that at a particular moment in their life, they're competing for jobs against all these other people, and they've already been disadvantaged by minimum wage laws. So they already can't find enough work as it is, and you got these other people coming in and stealing their jobs. So I want you to hear my heart here a little bit, because this has been a bold, put it right out there kind of thing, because I think the moment calls for it. People are making decisions right now about what they're going to do, and I think you need to hear it plain and clear. This is not to say that Donald Trump is a saint. This is, this is not to say that the Republican Party is perfect. Far from it on both fronts. I mean, you know, Trump is, is a, a rather imperfect individual, and the Republican Party is a rather imperfect party. So that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the alternative is so antithetical to the Bible that a Christian cannot support it. And we've made some practical arguments and some analogies and, and tried to explain uh, what the after effects of going against God's words are and how that plays itself out. Let's just say for the sake of argument, that we didn't have those practical arguments. Let's just say that the democratic policies were actually uh, properly and effectively feeding the poor and taking care of uh, the sick and all of those sorts of things. Let's just say, but they were doing it in a way that is against how God says it's supposed to be done, then the Christian needs to say, I don't care about the practical stuff. I don't care about the pragmatic quote-unquote truth. I care about being obedient to God and his word. Now, as it turns out, when you're obedient to God and his word, you get the positive blessings that come from that. And when you don't, you get the curses that come from that. And that's why the practical parts of the story, the pragmatic realities, support the biblical position. So we don't want to create the additional dependency. We don't want people to be demotivated from having a, I mean, the welfare state puts women in horrible situations where they're punished financially if they get married. And they're put in a situation where if they somehow have more children out of wedlock than they can possibly handle uh, supporting and their support structure can possibly handle supporting, they have motivation to, to make the situation even worse so they can get more money. Why are we putting pressure on people to do things that are unwise for them? But that's what the system has done. So if you're somebody who's voted Democrat in the past or you're thinking about voting Democrat this time or you've already voted this year and you voted Democrat and you're like, what are you saying? I'm not here to condemn 
what you've done or what you're thinking about doing, at least not in this context, I am here to call you to a biblical understanding of what it is, how we're supposed to see these things, and you need to act accordingly, and hopefully it will convict your heart. And you will realize that maybe the way I've been thinking about things has been wrong-headed. And so I feel the only thing we haven't fleshed out anywhere near enough, and I'll give 30 seconds on this, the women's right to choose thing. A woman can do with her body what she wants. Let me just say this. It is not her body. It's inside of her body. It is not her body. God says that those that are his uh, creation, the human beings that he has created, we bear his image. And to take the life of any image bearer unjustly is murder. And there's nothing just about taking an innocent life. And so, and science even backs us up. You know, those who are in my position get accused with a wagging finger a lot of times. You're a science denier. The science even backs us up. Not that we make our decisions based on that, but that baby inside the mother's body has different DNA, more often than not a different blood type, a different heartbeat, a, 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 a different brain with different neural pathways, a different nervous system, different fingerprints. They feel pain, the mother does not. The mother feels pain, the baby does not. They are different individuals. And we're going to pause there, and hopefully we've bounced around to cover quite a few topics today on the show. Hopefully some of it struck you and got you at least thinking, all right? At least got you thinking. We can at least hope for that, right? Right? It's okay to be thinking, isn't it? This is the Faith Debate. You can follow us online at WFMD.com, also on the WFMD Facebook page. And uh, if you're not listening to us on AM 930, maybe you're listening to us on FM 99.9 HD2. That's fun. Uh, and you can follow me personally if you like. I'm on a bunch of social media platforms. But the easiest way to connect with me probably is just to go to householdoffaithinchrist.com. There you can connect to all my social media and all sorts of different things I'm involved with there. Householdoffaithinchrist.com is the website to follow me personally. And, of course, WFMD.com is the place to go to follow the show and the radio station more generally. And I, of course, encourage you to do that. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now. Again, thanks for listening and God bless.